Welcome back to the Roots Music History Podcast. On this podcast, we talk about the stories behind songs and legends, as well as new up-and-coming artists on a playlist called History in the Making. But once in a while, we talk about a story that's a little off the beaten path, but still has to do with music history. Of course, I have covered the Leonard Skinner plane crash. I've also covered a really cool story about a 619-year-old tree that was one of George Washington's trees that's being turned into guitars. That's just a really cool story that's kind of making its way through Nashville, Tennessee right now. So go ahead and check out both of those videos, but especially the plane crash video if you plan on listening to this episode. Because if you don't know about Leonard Skinner or their plane crash, you're going to be pretty lost in today's episode. Today, we are going to be talking about the very controversial subject on whether or not Artemis Pyle was shot by the farmer Johnny Moat when he was walking away from the Leonard Skinner plane crash going to get help. For a long time, I didn't think that I would go into this subject at all, but but the comments in the last Leonard Skinner video were insane. I can't even tell you. 90% of the comments out of that whole documentary, out of that whole thing, 90% of the comments are people coming back saying Artemis was not shot. <laughs> So you woke the beast. You got me intrigued. So much so that I have spent the last couple weekends on the rooftop of my building on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee, looking up old newspaper articles and interviews, trying to get the full story on whether or not Artemis was shot by Johnny Moat. I have about seven articles that I actually want to pull up on the screen and read for you, which is something I typically would not do for non-members. There's a third level membership tier that has full interviews of everyone who I've interviewed for various videos. Uh, the George Groon video that I did where I talked about the whole history of Groon guitars in Nashville and George Groon. I have the full interviews with George up there for members only. I have the full newspaper kind of interactive videos like we're going to be doing here on Harry Chapin and Harry Chapin's death. I also have newspaper articles that I walk through on Elvis's death and of course Johnny and June and now we're going to be going through these newspaper articles for whether or not Artemis Pyle was shot. Now there could be a whole other video too just about Leonard Skinner after the plane crash and I have to share with you guys last weekend guess who was in Nashville, Tennessee? Peter Keys. And I said to him, do you know how serious <laughs> these Leonard Skinner fans are? Like these videos that I've done on Leonard Skinner, you guys come at me and we'll say, you know, something like they didn't meet at the baseball game. They met right outside the baseball game. Like, gosh, darn it, girl, get your facts right. <laughs> you know, which I do try to get my facts right. And I appreciate corrections when something is wrong. It would be nice if when someone corrected me, they also like said something positive, but that's okay. <laughs> we were kind of laughing about how serious the Leonard Skinner fans are and how knowledgeable you are. I hope that you appreciate that I'm actually going to be pulling up the newspaper articles, but I also hope that you can recognize and realize not everything that's reported in the paper is going to be the true story either. And there are even times where someone will be giving an interview and what they're saying about their own life is not correct. For example, when I did my Merle Haggard video, Merle was giving an in-person video and he actually mixed up in his head his relationship with Carol Chessman and Rabbit in the prison. And I looked at the actual records of when Rabbit was released from prison versus when Carol Chessman was released from prison. And then I juxtaposed those dates with what other people said in their interviews. And I concluded that Merle had actually gotten the story wrong. And I ended up finding, I think, two other interviews where he corrects himself and he says it correctly. So you can't just even listen to one person's interview and think that what they're saying is right. You know, people forget their own life stories 
All the time. Um, another just quick example of that, Eric Clapton told Rolling Stone that he bought his guitar Blackie at a place called The Picking Parlor in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, he didn't. He bought it at a place called GTR, which was the original Groon Guitars when George Groon was with two other men named Tut and Randy. That was their acronym for like George, Tut and Randy, but it also was like an acronym for guitar, GTR. Eric Clapton came out of the Johnny Cash show, out of the Ryman and went to GTR, got the body of Blackie, and then he went to the picking parlor and got accessories. He told Rolling Stone that he got Blackie from the picking parlor. And George was sitting there like, no, he didn't. He got, he bought it from me. So George calls Rolling Stone and is like, hey, you got this story wrong. And Rolling Stone was like, well, Eric Clapton told us that he got Blackie from the picking parlor. Who are we supposed to believe? You or Eric Clapton himself. I mean, honestly, Eric Clapton was doing a lot of cocaine at that time. He got it wrong. The Picking Parlor didn't even sell guitar bodies like that. Like, there's no way he got Blackie at the Picking Parlor because that wasn't even in their inventory. It's just not true. So I think that Rolling Stone should have an amended article posted or at least something, you know, highlighting that they might have gotten it wrong where Eric Clapton got Blackie, but that's my personal opinion. But either way, I just have to add those disclaimers before we go into the newspaper article. So I hope that you um, can appreciate that. And yeah, I just I had a really fun conversation with Peter Keys about you guys and about Roots and about these videos. So thank you for giving me a very fun conversation topic with a very fun person. So with that said, let's get into some of the articles. I'm going to share my screen with you and I'm going to go through a couple articles first and highlight things that I think are important and then I'm gonna show you at the end my favorite newspaper article that really, I think, details everything out perfectly. The first article I wanna talk about was reported in the Camarillo Star on October 21st, 1977. Leonard Skinner, a group of 10, was reported to be en route to a concert Friday night at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. A spokesman at Southwest Medical Center said three of the early arrivals who were hospitalized were identified as members of the Leonard Skinner band. And then we have hospital administrator Thomas Logue, who says that the three had multiple bruises and possibly other injuries. Two, after apparently making their way through woods to emergency help. One of the three was receiving emergency treatment. Logue identified two of those admitted as Kenneth Tataken and Mark Frank. I don't know who Kenneth Tataken is. I've never seen a Kenneth Tataken. There's another article we're going to go through that goes through everyone's injuries and condition at the point of the crash. Nowhere in there is there a Kenneth Tataken. So I think they just got the name wrong. I think that they meant Kenneth Peden. Everett Fairley, an air traffic controller at the Macomb Airport, said, quote, We were told by the Houston, Texas Flight Center that the plane was having fuel trouble or was running low on fuel and that they had turned them around to land at Macomb. I tried to call them, but we couldn't raise them. And Houston reported it had lost radar and radio contact. Here is an article from the Commercial Appeal. And this was printed on October 22nd, 1977. This details out everyone who was on the plane and what their condition was after the crash. It says, here is the list made public by hospital officials of the dead and injured in the crash of a chartered plane carrying members of the rock band Leonard Skinner. Dead, Ronnie Van Zandt, lead singer. Steve Gaines, guitarist. Cassie Gaines, vocalist. Walter Wiley McCreary, the Dallas pilot. William John Gray, Dallas co-pilot. Dean Kilpatrick, assistant road manager. Injured, Gary Rossington, guitarist, stable, multiple fractures. 
Leon Wilkinson, bass guitarist, critical with chest wound, broken arm and leg, and multiple scratches. Alan Collins, guitarist, stable, spine injuries. Billy Powell, pianist, stable, multiple cuts. Leslie Ann Hawkins, vocalist, stable, facial cuts, and neck injury. Artemis Pyle, drummer, not admitted to hospital. Kevin Elson, the sound engineer, was critical with two broken legs, broken ankle, broken pelvis, and collapsed lung. Bill Sykes with a television movie film crew. I actually didn't read that before. That's interesting. Stable but multiple fractures. Ron Eckerman, road manager. Stable, bruised chest, broken ribs, and fractured finger. Don Kretschmar, road crew, stable, chest injuries and bruises. Kenneth Peden, road crew, stable with multiple bruises. Mark Frank, road crew, stable, multiple cuts and bruises and a concussion. Joe Osborne, also road crew, also stable with multiple cuts, broken ribs, broken collarbone. Craig Reed, road crew, stable, stable with chest wound, multiple abrasions, and broken arm. Gene Odom, road crew, stable, eye injuries, and scalp cuts. A lot of you said that Gene Odom probably had the most accurate recollection of the crash, and I agree. I just, I kind of think so too. Mark Howard, road crew, stable, head and back injuries. Steve Lawler, road crew, stable, with bruises of chest, elbow, and cuts on forehead. Clayton Johnson, road crew, stable, broken collarbone and broken elbow. James Bracey, road crew, critical, with fractured left arm, chest wound, and abrasions. And Paul Welch, the road crew, stable. Now, this doesn't capture everyone's injuries. Obviously, Gary Rossington was in really bad shape. And all it kind of says here is multiple fractures. You know, there was a lot more to this than this is saying, but this is just a quick synopsis that gives you somewhat of an idea. It was interesting to me that they said Artemis Pyle just not admitted at all. They didn't say anything. You know, they didn't say stable. They didn't say not stable. And then we have the Evening Express from October 21st, 1977. Seven. Six other members of the band were injured. Other injured included members of the group's road crew and a television cameraman, officials of the Southwest Mississippi Medical Center said. This says that six members of the band were also injured. And then this article goes into an interview with Johnny Moat. The plane, quote, sounded like a car skidding in gravel as it clipped the trees, said Johnny Moat, who lives near the crash site, close to the Mississippi-Louisiana border. When it hit ground, it was a deep rumble, like it was underground. It sounded like thin, wrinkling metal, he said. Moat said he was putting out hay when three bloody survivors who had made their way through the woods called to him for help. One of them was hugging me around the neck and telling me, we got to get them out. Now, also on October 21st, 1977, we have this article from the Intelligencer Journal. And this one goes into a little bit more detail and some details that the other one didn't go into. This one says, a twin-engine airplane carrying 26 persons, including members of the rock band Leonard Skinner, crashed in a swamp Thursday night, killing six persons, authorities reported. The pilot and co-pilot were reported among the dead. An official of the Southwest Mississippi Medical Center said, Six persons were dead on arrival and that 20 were hospitalized, some in critical condition. The hospital earlier had reported seven people dead. Names of the dead were not yet released, and authorities said identification was hampered because some passengers had been playing poker and had their wallets with identification papers out when the plane crashed. A spokesman for the hospital said at least four persons were receiving emergency treatment and were members of the 10-man Leonard Skinner band, including drummer Artemis Pyle, who was reported 
in good condition. So that's an important detail because in the other one, it said Artemis Pyle was not admitted to the hospital. He's saying four persons were receiving emergency treatment and that one of them was Artemis Pyle. Why would Artemis Pyle need to be receiving emergency treatment of any kind? And the only thing that could make sense as to why he was receiving emergency treatment and not admitted to the hospital could be if a bullet had just grazed his shoulder and he needed to have the bullet removed or have like major stitches or something, maybe that qualified as quote, emergency treatment. But I read that sentence a few times. A spokesman for the hospital said at least four persons receiving emergency treatment were members of the band, including drummer Artemis Pyle, who was reported in good condition. Now that makes sense to me that that could have happened. Now the Statesman Journal on October 21st, 1977 said, an official of the Southwest Mississippi Medical Center said, 20 persons were injured, some critically, when the plane went down after experiencing fuel troubles. The spokesman said the dead included Leonard Skinnerd, lead singer Ronnie Van Zandt, guitarist Steve Gaines, and his sister, vocalist Cassie Gaines. Also killed were pilot Walter Wiley McCreary and co-pilot William John Gray, both of Dallas, Texas, and Dean Kilpatrick. Now it says, authorities said six members of the band were hospitalized, two hurt critically, and four in stable condition. Johnny Moat, who lives near the crash site, said the plane clipped the top of the trees as it neared the ground and, quote, sounded like a car skidding in gravel. When it hit ground, it was a deep rumble like it was underground. It sounded like thin, wrinkling metal. So same quote from him, right? Authorities said identification of the dead had been hampered. We know that. A spokesman for the hospital said at least four persons receiving emergency treatment were members of the 10-man Leonard Skinner ban, including drummer Artemis Pyle, who was reported in good condition. So now we have another article saying the exact same thing as the article before that Artemis Pyle was included. Is that how you guys are reading that? Because that's how I read that. Two of the three early arrivals had made their way through the woods. So we have a third one who was not identified, who was receiving emergency treatment. And then we also have another spokesman for the hospital saying that out of the people receiving emergency treatment, one of them was Artemis Pyle. To me, it kind of seems like Thomas Logue is saying one thing in one interview, and then you have this spokesman saying something else later in another interview. And this is all in the same article. And it seems to me like Thomas Logue, the hospital administrator, is saying we received three people. Three people came to the hospital first. They were, quote, early arrivals. Out of those three, two of them had made their way through the woods for help. The third was receiving emergency treatment. So either the three of them had made it out of the woods and two of the three were identified and were okay and the third was still being taken care of and the third was Artemis, or Artemis hadn't gotten there yet, but either way, once he does, they're saying he was also in emergency treatment. Now, the Charlotte Observer kind of gets a little bit more technical about the way they phrase this. The Charlotte Observer says, quote, there were some fatalities, but we don't know how many. And there were some very serious injuries. A Mississippi Highway Patrol spokesman said, he said the plane went down in a pasture southwest of Macomb near the Mississippi-Louisiana border, about 100 miles south southwest of Jackson. A spokesman at the medical center said, three persons identified as members of the seven-member rock band were admitted to the hospital. Hospital Administrator Thomas Logue said the three persons hospitalized 
had multiple bruises and possibly other injuries. He said two apparently made their way through the woods for help. One, comma, not identified, comma, was receiving emergency treatment. So when I look at the Charlotte Observer and I compare this to the other two articles where they said there were three early arrivals and two of them had made their way through the woods and one was in emergency treatment, the Charlotte Observer is more clear by saying one, not identified, was receiving emergency treatment. Now, to me, it makes sense that Artemis Pyle, Kenneth Peden, and Mark Frank were the early arrivals. That makes sense to me. Now, the San Francisco Examiner on October 21st, 1977, also had a synopsis like this. Um, and there's actually different information in here. So this is a picture, by the way, it says of Clayton Johnson, who was a crash survivor, the stage manager of the Leonard Skinner Band. Now, this says that one of the survivors, sound technician Kenneth Peden, said the, quote, right engine developed trouble and it began to sputter. We began losing altitude and eventually the left engine started sputtering and we lost it. Everybody knew at that point he, the pilot, was going to try to make an emergency landing. Peden said there was no, he said there was no confusion or panic. Everybody headed for their seats and buckled down. They did what they were supposed to do. He said he was sitting right behind the right wing and could see the trees coming up. Quote, I knew we weren't close enough to reach the field. I knew we were going to hit the trees. He said the crash wiped out the band and said, quote, the band will never again play as Leonard Skinnerd. I'm almost certain. Ronnie Van Zant was the lead vocalist and writer. The only other member who sang and wrote was Steve Gaines. I'm sure Leonard Skinnerd is deceased. Now, these are somewhat famous words by Kenneth because Leonard Skinnerd has lived on. And that's just another video in itself is how Leonard Skinnerd has lived on, which I think is incredible. And it like actually is chilling and it's so beautiful. But either way, um, that's what he said on this day. And then he said the plane was broken into two large sections. One of the wings was about 50 yards behind the body of the aircraft. Lisa Easley, whose father owns the property where the plane crashed, said the plane was, quote, just a big pile of metal. But the injured has some different information. It says the injured were, number one, Kevin Elson, listed in critical condition. Number two, Don Tretchman, who was stable. Number three, Kenneth Petten, Peden, stable. Mark Frank, 25, stable. Gary Rossington, in critical condition. Oh, no, actually, this says... Gary Rossington stable. Gary Rossington was only 25 years old. Like these, everyone was in their early 20s. It's just crazy. Uh, Leon Wilkinson, bass critical. Number seven, Alan Collins, 25, guitar stable. Number eight, Joe Osborne, stable. Bill Sykes, stable. Craig Reed, stable. Gene Odom, 28, stable. Mark Howard, 23, stable. Steve Lawler, stable. Ron Eckerman, stable. Billy Powell, keyboards, stable. Leslie Ann Hawkins, 28, stable. Clayton Johnson, stable. James Bracey, stable. Paul Welch, 22, stable. And then, last but not least, Artemis Thomas Pyle, stable. So Artemis Pyle did have paperwork, at least, that said he was stable at some point. Now, it wasn't until I got to this article right here that I truly believe we get the full story. And I juxtaposed this article with interviews 
of Johnny Moat and of some of the other farmers. And this really brought it all together for me. So this is the Clarion Ledger from October 22nd, 1977. This is a picture of Kenneth. It, this is his account in the ledger that he gave to Johnny Moat, comma, the three scrubby looking men walking directly toward him across his pasture appeared to be escaped prisoners. Moat had been throwing hay to his cattle as night closed over his southwest Mississippi farm Thursday when he first saw the men approaching. Before he saw the men, Moat had heard an odd noise from the woods just beyond his pasture. It was a loud scratching noise, like something skidding or being dragged across gravel. Now the men were approaching and a helicopter was circling above the woods, shooting a beam of light into the trees. Moat got into his pick, his pickup truck and drove past the men in the pasture a couple of times before pulling up to his home to get his shotgun. Minutes before this scene unfolded, the rock band Leonard Skinnerd and its road crew members had been flying thousands of feet in the sky headed towards Baton Rouge in an airplane, the far removed from rural farm life of Johnny Moat and his wife, Brenda. But the plane's engines stopped working, and when it fell to earth, it crashed next to Johnny Moat's farm. Six persons were killed, including three band members, and everyone else in the plane was injured. Somehow, though, road crew members Kenneth Jr. and Mark Frank and Leonard Skinner drummer Artemis Pyle were thrown out of the plane as it crashed and were able to stand and walk. I must have gotten knocked out. I came to outside the plane and then walked around in circles for about five minutes before realizing that we had to find a way to get out of those dark woods and get some help. It was a horrible crash. Many of his colleagues were trapped inside and still alive. Pyle and Frank were also on their feet. The three gathered together. Frank and Pedden were bleeding from bad cuts. Through the woods, they could see a distant light. They had no idea where they were, but they started walking toward the light. Once they broke through the woods, Kenneth said, we walked across a cow pasture. We came to a road. A pickup truck came by and we tried to flag it down, but it didn't stop. It came back by and we tried to stop again, but it kept going. We climbed over a fence and I fell down. Johnny Moat parked his pickup truck at his home and left the engine running and ran inside to get his gun, Brenda Moat said. He said there were prisoners right behind the trailer to lock the doors, she said. I was here watching the Waltons. She said her husband ran back outside, shotgun in hand, to turn off the truck and grab the keys. At this point, the three men were approaching the home. Quote, we walked up to the trailer. Then Kenneth said, quote, the man fired a shotgun over his head. He told us to stop. I just yelled to him, quote, our plane just crashed. It's bad. They need help. He said he had heard the crash, but didn't really know what it was. I don't know how they got up here, Brenda Moat said. It's so dark down there, just a swamp. They had blood all over them and mud. The three young men had reached their destination and found the help they needed. They had no idea that rescuers were already on the way. Kenneth and Mark Frank came into Moat's home and sat down. Pyle waited outside. All were later taken to the hospital. I think that this is interesting too. Why? would Artemis be sitting outside the house when everyone else is going back in? I think that this is weird too. Why would Artemis be staying outside the house while everyone else is going inside? Unless he might've been bleeding from being shot. He might've been in a lot of pain from being shot possibly. Um, and that's why everybody was kind of going inside and he just waited outside because he, maybe he was trying to figure out what had happened to him, why he was stinging or felt disoriented. I don't know. Um, but I just, I think it's weird that it says that everyone went inside the moats and Pyle waited outside. It just seems weird to me. Like, why would everybody not 
go inside together. And then Brenda says, quote, from then on, people started coming. Ambulances and other vehicles made a road across the moat's pasture to reach the edge of the woods. Helicopters landed in the pasture. And by the end of the evening, she said, quote, the National Guard wouldn't even let us in our own pasture. So a very crazy evening. Um, But there is more information there that leaves you wondering, right? It says, Kenneth says he shot the shotgun over his head, but why didn't Artemis go inside the house? I also found some of this information from 2020. Um, Artemis Pyle gave an interview in 2020. This information is from, this information is, this little excerpt is from ultimateclassicrock.com. Although I saw exactly the same excerpt somewhere else and I can't remember where. But it seems like this was just an interview that he gave in 2020 that multiple people might have copied and pasted and used. Um, But either way, I'll give the credit to Ultimate Classic Rock because that's where I took this screenshot from. But here's here's what they had to say. Interview is about the movie that was put out about the plane crash. And the interviewer is asking Artemis Pyle. So this is a real story of the plane crash. It's not a dramatization, but is this exactly how everything went down? And this was Artemis's response. He said, quote, It's exactly what happened. There's a lot of controversy about me getting shot. The farmer, Johnny Moat, when he was interviewed by Jake Tapper for VH1, said, Did you have a gun? Johnny said, Yeah. He said, Did you come out of your cabin and pointed at Artemis? He said, Yes. He said, Did you pull the trigger? Johnny said, Yes. And Jake said, Well, how can you say you didn't shoot him? And Johnny, I think his reaction was, quote, well, it must have ricocheted. And then Artemis is saying, my reaction to that is I don't give a bleep what he thought it was. I was in shock from the plane crash. I was injured. I heard a gunshot. I saw the gun. I felt something sting me and I fell to the ground. I don't care if it was a ricochet. That's his problem. I got hit with something and he just doesn't want to admit the truth. But he did to Jake Tapper. And Jake saw that the guy was trying to cover it up. Just like when Jake Tapper interviewed Judy Van Zandt and the rest of the band members, Billy Powell and Gary, he could tell that they were not telling the truth and that they were covering up. So at the end of the documentary, which is called Uncivil War, Jake totally sides with me and says, poor Artemis, you know the guy has saved lives and is a hardworking member of Leonard Skinner, yet they steal all of his money and don't allow him to be part of the band. So... I'm just saying that happened in 2020 that I couldn't make this video and not put this in from the interview from 2020. Um, Now, something I do want to highlight a line here. I will say this. I could not find this interview with Jake Tapper anywhere, which is strange because usually I don't have a problem finding things. Um, None of this is what I wanted to highlight, though. So what am I doing? I wanted to highlight this. Did you have a gun? Johnny said, yeah. Did you come out of your cabin? And this is what I want to highlight. Point it at Artemis. That is quite an important detail because Kenneth said that Johnny Moat just fired it over his head. Um, Now, Johnny Moat in his interview said, I just fired a warning shot. He doesn't say where he aimed the gun. Um, Now, is it possible that it could have ricocheted off of something? I don't know. We would have to have a picture of Johnny Moat's property and that pasture, right? But I think you could probably picture a pasture 
And whether maybe it ricocheted off of a tree or they also said that they were right by his trailer. Kenneth was saying we were making our way up to his trailer. So could he have fired it and it could have ricocheted off of a trailer or off of something that was parked nearby or a nearby structure? I don't know. And Artemis says he fell to the ground. Kenneth says that it was only him and Mark Frank who went inside the house. Is it possible that the bullet from the warning shot ricocheted maybe grazed Artemis's shoulder. Maybe it didn't like flat out shoot him, but maybe it like grazed his shoulder. He was shocked and kind of fell to the ground. And that's when everyone went inside the house. And that's why he stayed outside the house. Or did Kenneth have it correct in his memory that he just shot it above his head and nothing ever hit Artemis at all? A few days, now a few days after the plane crash, Artemis was seen shirtless. This is not the exact photo, but there is an argument that Artemis was seen shirtless and his shoulders were exposed after the plane crash and that nobody could see a wound on his shoulder. Um, Someone somewhere had said they thought that it was this photo, but that's Ronnie, I am pretty sure, in in the back seat of that car. If anybody knows for sure, please let me know, but I think that it is. Ronnie in the backseat. And so that means this could not have been this photo from after the crash. Um, But apparently people are arguing that he was seen and that he did not have a bullet wound. So if anyone has more information on that, I would be very curious to know. Honestly, I don't think we will ever know if Artemis was shot or not. This seems like it was just a very chaotic day and a very chaotic, you know, few minutes, even few moments. And after being in a crash like that too, I'm sure you are confused and shook and everybody might be confused, you know? And that, I think that's why the accounts differ so greatly between each person because each person experienced something completely different than the person next to them, even though they were all there in the same tragedy. Everyone's perceptions are different and everyone kind of has their own experience and their own story. So all we can really say for sure is that Johnny Moat did fire a shot. Where it went, we really don't know. But I think it is safe to say that Artemis was at the hospital and it does seem like he was receiving emergency treatment. Now, what that emergency treatment pertained to, whether, like I said, that was stitches because of a bullet graze wound or his ribs or whatever it was, he was receiving treatment. Um, Some of it can seem misleading when you, like if I just looked at that one article that said Artemis Pyle wasn't admitted to the hospital. And yeah, from that one article, it looks like he just, you know, went home and watched the evening news himself. But you look at the other articles and you look at the spokesman saying that Artemis Pyle was one of the folks receiving emergency treatment And then you look at the other article that has all of the victims and it says that he was in stable condition, which is different from not being admitted. You just have to kind of take everything and put it together and look at it from a bird's eye view and then think to yourself what actually happened. Um, But one thing that none of us really seem clear on is whether or not the bullet hit Artemis. So after seeing all of these newspaper articles and listening to these interviews, I'm very curious what your thoughts are. Do you guys still think that Artemis embellished the story? Or do you think that there is a possibility that 
even if it ricocheted and gave him a graze wound, that that's a possibility. So I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for making this channel so much fun. I really hope you enjoy some of my other videos, like the Merle Haggard video is one of my favorites. I was just at a show in Nashville and they were singing Sing Me Back Home. And I turned to the person next to me and I said, kind of told him the story of Merle Haggard and Carol Chessman and how Merle Haggard wrote the song Sing Me Back Home about Carol Chessman's execution. Merle Haggard was in solitary confinement speaking to Carol Chessman, who was a very famous felon, by the way, through the air conditioning vents. And Merle Haggard genuinely believed that he and Carol were friends. I mean, they were. They had no one else to speak to in solitary confinement. So obviously they were speaking to each other. And one day Merle Haggard was just out on the prison yard when somebody came up to him and said, did you hear about Carol? And Merle was like, no, what happened to Carol? And they said Carol was executed today. Now, for years, Carol had been fighting this execution and everyone really believed that Carol was not going to be executed. And so not only was this extremely alarming to Merle Haggard, but he was also it was like they had lost a battle in a way. And Merle Haggard couldn't believe that he was executed. He said, that's not possible. And the other prisoner said it happened this morning. It just happened. And Merle Haggard went back to his prison cell in solitary confinement and tried to talk to Carol through the air conditioning vents, but there was no response because Carol had been executed. Um, and that was what prompted the song, Sing Me Back Home. And that is also what prompted Merle to begin getting enough prison credits. He really turned his life around in prison, started getting enough prison credits to get himself out of there and turn his life around and ultimately to become one of country music's greatest legends in all of music history. So the Merle Haggard video is my favorite one and it has like the least amount of views. <laughs> I don't know why, because that is to me the best story. So if you really like this content, please check out the Merle Haggard video. I will link it obviously in the description below and I'll put it on the end screen as well so that you can just click on it there. And if podcasts are more your style, I am also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but I will say I'm on any podcasting platform. I should probably specify that. Any podcasting platform that you go to, I'm there, but Spotify and Apple just seems to be the most prominent. Let me know in the comments too, where you listen to your podcasts, just so that I know, you know, I can link the other ones if there's another platform that's super popular that I'm not aware of. I'll link that in the descriptions as well, just to make it easy. And like I said, definitely check out the membership levels if it's something that you might want to pursue. You know, you could even buy a membership just for like a couple of months and then watch all the videos, binge watch the videos and then not be a member anymore. So it's totally up to you. Uh, it's just kind of off brand to put all of those deep dives into the newspaper articles where I go word for word into everything on the Roots channel. The Roots channel is really just like these rockumentaries and the stories behind songs and artists and just music history in general. So I usually don't do this, but I thought that this was necessary for the Artemis Pyle discussion. And any other discussions like this will be on the members platform as well as, like I said, full interviews of people that I've interviewed for the various uh, Roots rockumentaries that have been around town and have involved interviews with other people. And until then, you guys, I will see you on the next Roots Rockumentary. Hungry for the road all my life Thirsty for adventure all my youth Chasing all my freedoms down Liberty Avenue